take refuge. Let us never be put to shame. In righteousness we pray that you would deliver us. You incline your ear to us as we pray this day. We thank you that you are a rock, a refuge for us. You are a strong fortress for us, Lord. We thank you that you are these things. We thank you that although you are a rock and a fortress, you are not impersonal, you are not cold. As you speak to us, you draw near to us. And so as you have spoken to us in your word here in 1 Corinthians 7, we pray that we will feel you drawing near to us, that we will feel you inviting us to you, but also that we will be capable of sleepless understanding you. You've made a lot of strange categories and strange divisions within how we understand each other, that we are even aware of in the church, that are so, so divergent from how you would move us all to be unified under the dignity of the gospel. Christ crucified, forgiveness of sins, and resurrected so that we might be alive in him. We pray that you would give us sweet hope as we journey together this day. In Jesus' name, amen. We will be in 1 Corinthians 7 uh, tonight. I heard uh, Pastor Doug mention something last night. I was on big vacation this week, so I couldn't handle it. Um, it, it ain't this big. This thing is this thing is like a bed. This is a this is massive. So I feel like I have more authority and power from this thing than I have ever had. So my notes are this big. So if I can't if I if I pause for a moment, it's I'm looking for my actual page on this surface here. It's a huge. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, that was a huge distraction. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 is um, uh, such a such a, it's a sweet, detailed exposition of the gospel as it applies to our lives. Um, the, uh, the idea that we've been going through, through 1 Corinthians, is, uh, is this idea that we have this Corinthian church here uh, who knows a whole bunch. Uh, we read this in chapter 1, that they have been, uh, they have been uh, gifted, they have been enriched and all wisdom and understanding uh, and speech. Uh, they're, they're very smart. They're very eloquent. Uh, but the problem with the Corinthian church is they've not activated their hearts toward love of one another. Uh, we are right on the edge of where this whole reveal is. Very pointedly stated in, in 1 Corinthians 8.1. Uh, this knowledge builds up, but love, or this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And we're right on the edge of that. This is shaping everything we're talking about in, in Corinthians. And here... Uh, we get a turn from the first six chapters now into uh, chapters 7 through 14 in 1 Corinthians. Chapters 1 through 6 of 1 Corinthians talks about um, this idea of Jesus is the wisdom, the crucified, resurrected, primarily crucified is what he's talking about, the humility that comes there, the, the confession of sin, the, the, the love of one another that comes at the foot of the cross. Uh, and, and now we're going to turn into this and see that he's also the way uh, that we live out. He gives us these themes. He gives us these examples and these patterns of the way to live with one another. Now, he's going to go through. Uh, Paul is going to, to lead us through 1 Corinthians 7 in a very detailed way. And so I, I want to be clear that I, wanna, I want you to be reading through this uh, this text. So, so if you have a Bible, be, be ready. We'll be working through the entirety of 1 Corinthians 7, uh, but we'll be doing so uh, with the task of pulling back a little bit and seeing all of these details of every kind of situation you could come across within the, within the marital status uh, that, that Paul gives these details. We're going to pull back and see 
that there is a, a, a wonderful, clear gospel theme that binds all of this together. Uh, that, that he wants us to understand this idea of an activated love at the foot of the cross looking towards the dawning of eternity. If we just get ourselves there, we're going to see that whether we're single, whether we're divorced, whether we're widowed, or whether we're married, it doesn't matter what we're like. But rather, those statuses, those marital statuses that we have, actually are just contexts in which we live out the gospel. And it's a beautiful thing. So I want to get there. I want to go through this uh, a bit with you. And so the big, uh, the big urge that I would give you if you're a note taker, lead the life the Lord has assigned you. Lead the life the Lord has assigned you. If you don't remember that so well, it's verse 17. Uh, lead the life the Lord has assigned you. Uh, um, and, uh, and you're going to do that in the context that you have been assigned, in, in the statuses you have been given, that status being other things he's been given in life. But you're going to lead the life the Lord has, has assigned you in the context that you are given, and then we're going to go a little bit further here, with a, with a focus and a devotion, an undivided devotion to God. So that's kind of maybe the entire chapter in one sentence. Uh, I'll do it in a couple sentences here. I'm going to read verse 17, and then I'm going to jump ahead to verse 35. That should get us the basic idea of what we need for, uh, for our text today, and then we'll start looking at he says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which he has called him. Jump ahead to 35. This I say for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to him. So lead the life the Lord has assigned you. Uh, maybe a, a way that I could clarify this a bit is that status does not define you. You are not defined because you are single or married or divorced or widowed. That is not what gives you your designation in life. That is not your identity. And we just sang about that when I present my identity, which is what I guarantee you your status is, then bring me back to my true identity, which is Christian. That's what defines you. You are a Christian. You are a follower of Christ, a believer in Christ. You are a forgiven sinner. Uh, that's what defines you. So lead the life, and then we'll get into these first, first five verses. Lead the life the Lord has assigned you with your body. This is kind of a carryover from the previous chapter uh, where we talked about this idea, this theology of, of how do we use our bodies. God cares a whole lot about our bodies and their use, and he's going to talk about how do we then use our bodies within the context of marriage. Uh, and so uh, we read verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And I'll pause there. There's something that's going on within the Corinthian church that happens in our Corinthian heart quite often. Uh, so in the Corinthian church, uh, we have this idea of, of what do we do with these this, uh, sexual relations? Um, and, and they don't get it. I mean, you read these last couple chapters, it's like, whoa, whoa, we went way off the rails uh, here. Uh, and so, so what's going on here? He says, uh, uh, maybe on one side, they, they have this idea that, that their mind and their thoughts and their faith is very different than their everyday life. That their, that their body is something different than what their mind was. So if they have really, really good theology, then it doesn't matter at all what they do with their body. He says, well, that's, that's wrong. Uh, and uh, uh, because God cares a lot about all of you, the whole person. And it matters how you glorify God with all of your body. That's right before we get to this uh, today. But he says there's something else that's also happening. You know, sometimes people get that, but then they lose 
way too far into forgiveness. And they say, I can just do whatever I want because I'm someone who's supposed to change and supposed to forgive me and keep going and someone should forgive me and so on. But he says, let me encourage you to see that this is not the gospel. This is not a gratitude for the forgiveness of Christ. Okay, so, so that's not how we use the body. And so some people, I don't know, I do this often, they go like, oh, that was a little too close to the fire. Let's go all the way to the other side. And that's what we read in verse 20 here is when some people are going around saying, don't do it at all. Nothing. This is asceticism. Uh, this is, this is uh, have no sexual relationships at all. Jordan Speed, uh, is in one of, his, uh, one of his books about how reading the Bible affects our biblical interpretation, but all of life is unacceptable, is this. He says, the right response to bad whatever is not nothing, which is what they say. He says, it's to put it in its right place. It's a good version of it. Uh, so, so, so this is what he's doing in these first five verses. He's saying this, these sexual relations are good in the confines of marriage. This is the right place for it. And how is the gospel informative? This isn't just someone saying, this is what I think it should be, and now I'm going to beat you with the Bible, and this is what you're going to believe if you feel bad when you don't follow these specific three steps of examples. That's not how he's going about it. He says, this is gospel right here. Because what do we know of the gospel? How does it inform us to go that way? He says, because there is a selflessness that comes with it. He says, there's, there's a temptation. Uh, there's a temptation, so right, to sexual immorality. So don't go outside of that and go, and I'm going to enjoy this, this sin there. Come back in. Put it in the right spot. A husband who gives to his wife what comes to her right, likewise, the wife to her husband. And then he goes back and forth with this parable of Jesus and saying, you're to claim ownership of your wife. You do have your own ownership. What is happening here? He's not endorsing. Um, He's not endorsing this idea of, uh, of, of abusing, guilt-tripping or demanding within marriage. He's not encouraging uh, uh, abstaining or withholding within marriage. Rather, he says, out of your devotion, and you guys right there, out of your devotion, do these marriages. The only time that you should deprive one another is that when you both come together and agree We've got a whole lot of things in life that are bigger than God right now. We might need to reset. We, we might need to just stop here. Let's, let's remain devoted to God for a limited time so that Satan doesn't tempt us again. And when we've recalibrated that God is primary, then we can reengage into this relationship. It's not just stopping for a week, two weeks. There's actual intent. And then you go back in here. And I go into this quite a bit, uh, I go into this quite a bit when I say submissive is not like everything, because this is the true big gospel principle. He's saying this is how the gospel is very rich and robust with your bodies, in your relationships, as you live it out. You express the gospel through marriage this way, but it also shapes and informs a selflessness at the foot of the cross to give the gospel to one another. So he's going to actively do this. Love one another and do this with one another. So, leave the life the Lord has assigned you with your body. Uh, the next point would be, uh, leave a life uh, the Lord has assigned you with your status. And I'm going to define status here a little bit. It could be relative, social, professional, or other standing of someone or something like that. Okay, so, uh, it's basically, what is the relationship between different entities? Uh, so, uh, there are singles, that's one status. There's married, that's another status. There's divorced, there's widowed. Well, we've got a lot of those. Oh, and there's betrothed, that's another one of the categories. Uh, engaged. Something you do is very wrong in, uh, in Midwest American church is that we have taken these statuses, and notice that I've put them kind of at the same level here. 
we took them a different turn. We suggest very highly, we emphasize that the way in which we do church make it seem like you can become a Christian. But you won't get to the big boy table. You won't get to the true holiness unless you get to that next level called the married Christian. And the married Christians are holy. And there's something better about that. And then also then, if that's the case, then those who have fallen from grace, who are divorced, are then like kicked out of the party. That's weird, Paul would say. He'd say it with like much more eloquence than the best I would say. That's not how this works. It's that you're in a place, you're, you're in a season, and, and, and you're in your own, you're single, you're divorced, you're widowed, whatever. The gospel still applies to you, and so whatever you've been given, work out your faith in that context. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the things he says here is verse 23. He says, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of the Lord. Like if there's anything that you are, you are a bondservant of the Lord. And I think this, this, uh, this principle really just explains the point that I'm making is, is that it doesn't matter whether you're free or not. You always have the right. And spiritual status is what overrides any kind of secular status. Your spiritual status is Christ. You are a bondservant to him. All over this chapter, the, the name of the Lord is used. And it's always used in the fact that he is our authoritative, sovereign master with his word and his finances. And when you look at all the different occurrences of the word Lord in this text, and you're going to get sick of it, and you get sick of it, because you are his servant, and then you live out our lives whenever we are given to you. You do so gratefully, because in verse 6 we read, that we are to view our marital status as a gift. Verse 6, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were single as myself, as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of the other. It seems that he's referring this gift to this status or what if you thought about it. easier when the end track piled up. Or maybe if you were divorced, you could have done that. How would you have done that? Well, if you would have done that, you would have been kicked out of the party and kicked out of the party and kicked out of the party. But there's something sweet every season about gifts and of different kinds. We think of our church gifts publicly. As much as we want to say, I don't bring anything to this country, we always bring a little bit of something. We bring our hurt, we bring our pain, we bring our frustration. And every season of life, we bring a little something. I guarantee you, as your wife or as your husband, we have many parts of the church that are different than our family. That's a gift from God. I couldn't earn from the widows and the widows of our church. There's something that someone who is single, who has been single their whole life, single from the party. Those who are divorced. Every, every, every aspect of, of, uh, of, our, of our life really does tell the shape of our faith. The way we live out the commands of the scripture are very different from the commands of every Eastern scholar who has studied the Christian theology 
such an opportunity for prosperity. Uh, it says right here, verse 16, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Maybe you are going to be steady with, with your patience, with persevering around them, with them seeing examples, with them talking through things, maybe at some point they will see that this is not the end. But that this is the power of God for the people of God. If as you please, we bless you. As you please, bless us. As you please, keep us. We pray this out through Jesus Christ. Uh, reach out to anyone in this room with a tough thing, with a very tough thing. Live within a setting. Live in the context of We'll move on here to a change, a turn, a seemingly change turn. Verses 17 through 24, where we've read already today, uh, let each one lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which he has called him. So as we go on here, we, we take this huge turn, which seems like a digression when we start talking about circumcision, then we start talking about slavery, and all the while I'm thinking, I thought we were talking about marriage. <laughs> what are we doing here? of a Bible reading tip. Uh, as you read the Bible, when it seems like there is a digression, when you see, when it seems like the author is throwing in something random, when it seems like, like we just, we have no idea, maybe, maybe the, you know, guy with a scribe just wrote this in some margin and then it turned in, it may, when it seems weird, uh, it's not, uh, it actually seems to be going down the right direction. And so lean into those things, wrestle with those things, uh, talk with others goes into circumcision, when he goes into slavery, and he's saying, guys, this isn't, this isn't rocket science. You need to understand that every turn we're going to see, there is a process that we need to go through. It's not simple. Your question was, what do we, what do, we do in marriage? And my question is, it's the same thing you're going to do everywhere if you have the gospel guidance. And so he goes into this, uh, to this question. He says, uh, in verses 18 and 19, he says, does becoming a Christian necessitate circumcision? Verse 20, the answer is, each one should remain in the condition to which he was called. Okay, let's try another scenario here. Verses 21 and 23, or 21 through 23, does it, does becoming a Christian necessitate slave or free? Do I, must I get my freedom there? And, and, and within the, the, you know, the slavery of the day, I think we could probably widen this principle a little bit to like maybe contractual agreements to a new job or something like this through employee, employer kind of a thing. Uh, a bit, I want to be a little bit uh, cautious with that. But in verse 24, he says, uh, in whatever condition each was called, let, their, uh, let him remain in God. Don't quit your job because you became a Christian and suddenly you have the freedom to do this new job. It's actually evil. Uh, that's the third thing. things that are immoral, not immoral, but it doesn't necessitate that you remain in your status. Because you are always a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Lead the life the Lord has assigned you with your status, in your context, uh, and, and view your 
Let us never wonder, but love one another. Learn. Okay, so we have learn, uh, lead the life the Lord has assigned you with your body. Lead the Lord, lead the life the Lord has assigned you with your status. And then we're going to get to uh, the, the last couple of points here. Here we can, can turn to uh, verse 25 and 31. Lead the life the Lord has assigned you with your eyes on Jesus. I think this is kind of where, where Paul always sees and always tries to invite us into it. Verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, a betrothed would be something like the, the engaged, the about to get married. I, I might say it this way. Uh, now concerning those preparing for their change in marital status. They see it coming, and they're going to change. So what do we do when we think about a change in marital status? And then I would say the rest of those verses basically say, check yourself. Check your heart. Are you ready for this change? Um, and I think in any kind of change in status, we really need to go into this journey, right? Because it's not going to work out for us. I think it's easy to change. Heart for you is so good at, at uh, or, or the passion for love and, and are passionate about those marital boundaries. But so often when you listen to the, the, the wisdom of our world, uh, the big thing that, that meeting with the pastors before marriage is, uh, is a focus on the wedding day. And it's a, is there a checklist that you can complete the uh, rental agreement to uh, meet with the pastor and his wife? Uh, that's one way we go about it. But then another way is maybe we just talk through some of the stuff with, about our lives so that the pastor can make a really great sermon that really shows he knows us. go wrong when we've lived our life with our eyes on the wrong thing. So we want to help bring the gospel into all of marriage. And to, to think about what's going to happen next. This is actually the starting ground for the entirety of, of this journey. We want to build a, a rich marriage. It's not because we don't like the word marriage or are attracted to marriage. That's not it. It's because the sweetness of the gospel that we have to share with others. Because it's really just people As much as I love, you know, my, my, my Hartview pastor brothers who are wanting to lift us from wedding to marriage, Paul is going to say, let's go get it. Verse 29, it says, the appointed time has now grown very short. Verse 31, for the present form of this world is passing away. Paul would even say, guys, no, 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 marriage is not the end. The dawning of history, the dawning of forever Christ will be coming back. That is what you need to be putting at the forefront of your life. And that is such a beautiful thing. To look at that. It's as though we are sitting, uh, you and I, and anyone that we are in relationship with, we are sitting there at the foot of the cross, looking at eternity right in front of us. And when we're in there, it shapes our devotion to God. When we're in that So lead the life with your eye on the end, and now we'll get to this last point here, with an undivided devotion to God. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. That's awesome. That's like one of the most amazing little texts that we get there. I mean, you throw that one out and say, discuss, and you're going to get a fight like that. 
I mean, I, I, when I read this, I, I was like, wow, I just want to, I don't have a manuscript, but I want to hang it on the wall and read it and just like go through up there. This is, this is, I think that breaks a whole bunch of the machismo rules for manuscripts and reading a book on a wall. So I wouldn't do that. But it's so strange. What is he saying here? What is, what is so, he's like, don't be, don't be, ang- don't get married because you'll be anxious. That's not it. Paul is not saying that marriage is an unfortunate distraction from Christ, but that it can become a distraction if he's not securely devoted to it. Just as singleness can become a distraction in your life if he's not securely devoted to the Lord. Just as uh, your marriage or your your divorce or, or your widowhood could be a distraction. When we place marriage as something that is another level after you become a Christian, then singles may worship and long for being married, and their pursuit of marriage may become an idol to them. Those who are married, as he's kind of saying here, you might just have the dream that we have to be happily married. So whenever happily isn't happening, then we've got an idol because we've got to do the dishes we gotta, we got to buy the gifts. we got to plan the events and the trips and, and pay the bills and get the better job and get the income and, 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 and increase our net worth and because that will be happily. And we, that becomes our idol. That's what he's saying here. And when we're divorced, we may not have reconciled. All of these are sins, uh, but, but we may not have reconciled this. We may, we may be, be hurt, and that can lead to pain and bitterness and anger. And, and we, we sit there, and we maybe feel guilty. And we hear all of these interactions of, of, of the counter-gospel, and that becomes an idol, and we think about that past relationship that ended poorly. And that can become an idol to us. Because when we're a widow, we can sit there and ask God, why me? And, and that's rooted and demoralized and anger, bitterness, whatever it is. Why did you do this? What did you do to hurt me? sincere devotion to the Lord. Now, I want to I actually bring marriage down and Christ up, but I, 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 in doing so, I actually want to like really give marriage a good, a good, a good name. I kind of, kind of define it and give it more a robust understanding of what it is. So I, I think it would be helpful for us to figure out some similar language. Marriage, as I would you know, define it and explain it, marriage, which is, which is a thing that is very different than cohabitating, that's not marriage, uh, or a civil union of any kind, that is not marriage, but marriage, rather, is a sanctifying process, that is this ongoing journey together of, of, of becoming more holy. The, the strings are exposed of the marriage, uh, your, your, your joys of, um, of life are, 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 are there, and you're, you're encouraged, you learn about Christ more, and the act of doing this, Ephesians 5 speaks a lot to this. Marriage is a sanctifying process in which a man and a woman covenant with a loyal love that is very clingy, that is inseparable. They covenant with each other to daily relate to God. That's why cohabitating is not marriage. That's why a civil union is not marriage. This is what marriage is. So it's not better than Christ, but still Verses could be saying, and we would be anxious about what people would think of us, but 
Jesus came. If you're anxious about the value of your marriage, now you're, you're still there. If you're anxious about that, then look around and say, well, do I have space to get married? Well, let's bring that into the marriage. Before I was married, do I have space to date new singles? Let's bring that into the marriage. My parents have been divorced for, for most of my life. And my mom has really talked a lot about how the gospel has really shaped my thinking and my worldview. So how do we go about this? Some three, uh, three suggestions. These are not commands. These are my own judgments. Uh, both of them are my, are my favorite. Secure your undivided devotion to God. That is of utmost importance. Secure your undivided devotion to God. Um, to do that, uh, if you're an unbeliever, there's been names here by believers. You are, you're all Christians. And I tell you as much as you are ignorant, but you acknowledge that there is a loving God who draws near to you and wants you to confess your sin and forgives you freely. That this idea, this, this robust, beautiful understanding of the way you were designed to live in a relationship will never change, will never totally work. If you are a, uh, a, a Christian, well, how do you do that? Let me say this first. Yeah, it's through worship. Forgive me of my sin. Confess your sin. Hope you see your sin. Don't forget who Jesus is. Ask, talk to, talk to any of the elders or any, any of the pastors here today um, who'd want to walk you through this. This is the biggest thing. This is the big change that happens. But if you're a Christian, put it in the foot of the cross in humility and confession. Put it in the foot of the cross built in as a hope of the coming Christ. And then take those and shape your life. Live well where you are. Uh, the word remain, this is for a study. If you're going to study this later, uh, the word remain. Look at how many times the word remain is here. We don't, even, we don't even do it here. It's like all over the place. Remain, 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 remain. Because Christ is our remain. And he's put you in the place that you want. The grass is greener is the reality on both sides of the fence. And there's a whole lot of kingdom work. There's a whole lot of gospel fruit that can happen on your side. So get to work. Don't be looking on the other side. Don't be spinning your wonders. Get to work right here. But while you individually are doing that, I think corporately we need to embrace one another. We are not defined by our status, social status. I think sometimes we negatively give stereotypes and it makes it awkward to enter into conversation with one another. Widows aren't only lonely and, uh, and grieving. Divorced aren't always bitter and angry. Singles aren't always pining and longing for a spouse. Marrieds aren't always frustrated with their spouse. Like these are, these are, these are bad things. If you're in that category, you'd be like, yeah, but they have things everyone else in those other categories is thinking, yeah, too. Like that's not us. What does define us? We're Christians. And if we don't have faith, if some of you don't have faith, well, the thing that really does define us is moral thinking. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what we have in common rather than be really weirded out by what we might not have in common. And this applies to any single. This applies to, uh, to ethnic lines. This, this applies to different jobs. I think it's kind of your, your text as well. Talk about what it is. We're going to find that we have a lot more in common than we have differences. And as we talk about the commonalities, we build that bridge of relationship. This is building the fellowship, the partnership, the koinonia that, that, that is so spoken of in the New Testament. So let's talk about it. Maybe some of these hurts, some of these pains, some of these joys, some of these blessings start to come out. Rather than, hey, you're a widow, I want to talk to you. Say, you're a Christian? 
Live the life the Lord has assigned you in whatever context God has called you with an undivided devotion to the Lord. Thank you for letting me share the word of God with you. Let's pray now as we conclude our service. God, you are so good. I, I never understand, God, how you, uh, in all of your infinite power and wisdom and holiness, have decided that you are good. It was great. It was going well. We thank you that you have schemes of ill-wheat nature that I can never wrap my mind around that you do for us love and service. We love relationship. We love offering. Forgive us when we're stubborn and we don't take that to others. As I give our bodies as a shadow of the blood of your son. Forgive us when we're ungrateful. Forgive us when we push others away.